Hi, we're going to do our deepest dive, not deeper than the deep dive, uh, in a, a segment we're calling Smart Club. And today it's going to be about Cinque Stelle. So let's dive Ooh. in. Uh, on October 4th, 2009, Italian comedian Beppo, Beppe Grillo and Gian Roberto Casaleggio, an emergent web strategist, founded the Five Star Movement, or Cinque Stelle, perhaps the most interesting development in the politics of Europe this century. The anti-establishment populist group has resisted definition or a proper left-right classification, but has turned out to be a rebel force to contend with in Italy, winning municipal, regional, and even national elections. Before, of course, a fall, a recent plummet in polls, and a subsequent political crisis engineered by centrist agitator Matteo Renzi against the Conte-led government. With us on our first Smart Club panel to discuss the rise and fall of the Cinque Stelle are uh, Paolo Gerbado, sociologist and senior lecturer in digital culture and society at King's College London University, and author of an upcoming book, uh, The Great Recoil, Politics After Populism and Pandemic. I see what you did with the peas there. And I think that's coming out in July. And I think you dropped the cover on Twitter. I saw that. Uh, Nadia Urbanadi, Italian political theorist and professor of political theory at Columbia University in New York, and author of Me the People, How Populism Transforms Democracy, carefully avoiding the alliteration, so, and we respect that as well. And then Rachel Donadio, uh, Paris-based journalist, contributing writer at The Atlantic, and, a for and the former Rome bureau chief of The New York Times. Uh, and I will say, even before we start this, I have personally worked uh, in my political life in Italy with candidates associated with Cinque Stelle and using their party oh. apparatus. So I just feel like I should be transparent about that uh, up front. But welcome, y'all. Let's talk, uh, you know, about about Cinque Stelle. You know, like most things, it's a moment in history and it's a movement founded by people. But can we start with the moment? Uh, Italy is famously a country with a lack of a political center, or maybe that was true until a man named Berlusconi whacked the whole thing to the right. Uh, Nadia, can I ask you just to set the stage for us? You know, uh, the First Republic is falling. Yeah, I mean, like, this is an what, interesting... What is opening? My opening on the Five Stars movement has to do with the, the opening on the Italian system, political system and party system. Uh, this is the story of a party who doesn't want to be a party and cannot avoid being a party. So the Italian uh, democratic system has been since the beginning, since, uh, well, we can go back, back, back at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, we start with after World War II, a kind of an indigestible relationship with political parties, particularly because they present themselves after the liberation as the liberators thus covering one part of the country, the north, and the south was completely outside of this process of parties and liberation together because it was liberated by the Americans and not by the partisans and the parties. So there was a kind of dualism in the, uh, in the new uh, Republican Italy, which remained persistently, although we didn't see it until the end of the Cold War, when finally all the ideologies could be you know, lifted and we saw the reality. And the reality was a disaggregation of parties' life and the constructions of movements, movements after movements, extra-parliamentary movement first, and then movements that claim to be the substitution for parties in the name of good democracy, through democracy. So the Faisal's movement wanted to reachieve democracy out of the party's um, appropriation of it, and in doing so, they had to make two moves. And now they are facing the crisis. The first move declared themselves to be not simply a movement, but an anti-party movement. And as an anti-party movement to enter the political system based on parties. Second important uh, move they made is to declare not to have a physical headquarters system and a physical organizational system to be simply digital and online. Thus, total movements, movement on the square, because it was spontaneous aggregations, and movements outside of the square by and through this new kind of uh, square through the web. So these two uh, important transformations that change a lot uh, in, in, our, in our parliamentary system and the way of thinking of politics now is facing another important change. And here I stop. This movement is going to be very soon a new party. And this is the story that Paolo Gerbaud already started telling us in the, in the newspaper Don Domani a few days ago. 
And so we are in front of uh, ourselves with a movement born to be an anti-party and forced to be a party. And then, uh, Paolo, can you tell us a bit uh, uh, more about Beppe Grillo? You know, uh, maybe sort of for the American audience, a John Stewartish figure, uh, but certainly with a twist, uh, because there is a man at the center of this as well, and certainly it's come back this week. Completely. Beppe Grillo is really, in a way, the synthesis of this party's uh, potential and of its flows. Uh, he is a figure that became very famous uh, because of his uh, satire, uh, because of his very histrionic character, and because of the way in which his comedy was increasingly about politics and criticism of corporations, in a way was running in parallel to the anti-globalization movement at some point. Criticism of technology at some point, though then he becomes a technophile. It emb he embraces, he goes from uh, smashing computers on the stage to becoming a techno-utopian. And that's the moment when he uh, meets Casaleggio, this uh, web guru that really becomes instrumental in his success. And in a way, initially, really, the public, the, the groups uh, of people he gathers around him are the people that, uh, the spectators of his shows, right? He's a person who tours Italy all the time with these shows, uh, with these raging attacks against the political class, against corporations, and so on and so forth. Uh, but then progressively, it broadens this public to other people. So it's not anymore the middle class uh, that goes to these shows, right? And, and the people like them, uh, but also increasingly people who are really uh, in, in trouble. I mean, people who are from basically what once upon a time we would have called the working class, right? Or what today people would call the precariat. Uh, people uh, who are uh, unemployed, people who are earning very little, people who are very insecure, people who are very precarious. That's a bit in a way the kind of, the kind of miracle right, that, that he manages to, uh, to uh, pull off. I mean, recently he has been in the news for something uh, really uh, sad, uh, and uh, which is basically uh, because he defended, mm -hmm. furiously defended, his son who is accused of involvement in gang rape. Right? Uh, so, which is really uh, troubling, and it tells you of how flawed also the, the movement was, starting from his leader. Uh, but I think that all in all, uh, it's a movement that needs to be understood in, in a complex way because it, it is the largest party in Italy, right? I mean, it had 30% in the polls last time around, and to a great extent, it was precisely because it managed to re represent people who were not represented by anyone, starting with workers and the poor. Mm. Initially, though, uh, and Rachel, especially as an American who was so steeped in working in Italy, you know, throughout some of this time, initially it's a call to action, you know, uh, quite literally, you know, a, a fuck you movement, fuck you days, come. What is your impression of the people who initially were coming to those? You know, is it the precarious worker, perkers who, who Paolo was talking about? I mean, it's obviously a, a wide swath of society if it's going to start adding up to 30% a few short years later. Exactly. In the early days, the party was very much a web platform. And I think what we need to understand what sets this movement apart from other political movements in Italy is that it had the most developed web infrastructure of any party or movement in Italy. And so people would go to Beppe Grillo's blog and it would be a place to talk about all kinds of issues, whether local not in my backyard issues or larger issues, foreign policy issues, a kind of anger and discontent that Grillo was able to capture. Now, the party evolves and develops to the point that it does quite well in the elections in 2013, February 2013. Generally, when a party does well in Italy, it's also because the other parties are doing badly. And so it absorbed a lot of the momentum of some of the, let's say, centrist parties on the right and the left, the and Forza Italia at the time that just were not seen as having a lot of momentum. Forza Italia in 2013 was already on the decline because Berlusconi in 2011 had stepped down a victim of his bad management of the country's economy during the Euro crisis. The PD, the center-left 
you know, main Democratic Party has constantly had multiple identity crises. First, it couldn't figure out where it stood, whether it was the inherit the heirs of the Christian Democrats or of the communists. Now it has similar a kind of Italian version of the AOC versus Hillary Clinton kind of wings where it can't decide if it's, you know, like social Democrats or, or progressives. And so because of the confusion in some other parties, the Five Star Movement took that momentum. It did extremely well in the 2018 elections in Italy. And I was in Piazza del Popolo for the Atlantic at the last rally of the Five Star Movement in 2018. And I talked to people and some were former communists, some were former voters of far right parties. And so it really absorbed a lot of discontent. But what made it do so well in that election was promising universal basic income and having kind of an ambiguous line about we want more sovereignty we don't really like europe but we don't really want to leave europe but we kind of are upset about it i mean it, it captured a lot of different contradictions and that is really what caused it to get more than 30 percent of the vote in 2018 promising universal basic income which went over very well in the south and capturing a lot of free-floating discontent that did not find a clear expression in some of the more mainstream parties I'll conclude by saying one other thing, which is that while Grillo has remained kind of the soul and the godfather of the party, it is always unclear who is leading this party. And in fact, in technical terms, in 2017, before the 2018 elections, the Five Star Movement was refounded, and the kind of owners of its database of voters, and this will turn out to be important, are Davide Casaleggio, the son of John Roberto, the web guru who founded the platform that became the movement, and Luigi Di Maio. So they kind of own the party in certain ways. And so Grillo remains spiritually connected, but he could actually never be in parliament because he had a conviction for involuntary manslaughter in a car accident, and which, which means he could never actually be an elected official. So Grillo remains a kind of godfather figure. Then there's Di Maio and Davide Casaleggio, who kind of own the party. But then there are other currents in the party, and it's founded in this kind of direct democracy way so that we're never really sure who's leading it. And this is also one of the reasons why it's in such a crisis today. But to conclude, I mean, it kind of absorbed a lot of free-floating political discontent that needed a direction which everyone wants to do but so few actually pull off so nadia it occurs to me to wonder um how ideologically flexible to use sort of a slightly yeah. dangerous term do yeah. you find the cinque stelle yeah. and how does that play out you know let's actually talk about it yeah that is uh, the characteristic of five stars movement since the beginning uh capable of including different issues or different claims without specifying uh, basic principles of orientation so that it could be in favor of uh, uh, universal uh, uh, income but also against the immigrants and thus to be in between uh, the right and the left actually above or below or outside or uh, behind them and thus capable of attracting all moreover this flexibility showed itself in the selections of the candidates i remember the first important moments in which they entered the campaign the electoral campaign for administrative elections and they elected the mayor of the one of the most important industrial cities in the north parma and they used to select their candidates by asking for CVs. They were looking for objective meritocratic sign of competences without attachment to any ideologies. Actually, they were this kind of objectocracy, objectocracy I call them, looking for the uh, objectivity without uh, ideologies and without partisanship and meritocracy and technocratic uh, uh, smartness. All this together gave them different inputs inside. People who were more neoliberal, people who were more protectionist, people who were more socially oriented and others more um, against uh, um, social interference of, of the state. So different orientations, but that became a problem once they had to rule. So the first things we see that once they have in are in government, both in Parma, immediately the, the clash started in Parma when the new mayor, very competent, but at the beginning, not at all a politician, so incapable of using mm -hmm. his power against uh, the five stars and the other parties, he decided to step 
out and to abandon the party and to create his own list. And this was uh, the beginning of a process of uh, um, articulations of many movements inside of these movements. So that at the end, as soon as they start entering the government, particularly recently in 2018, they showed that they could stay with the right and with the left, with the league and with the party, uh, democratic parties. And in doing so, they became kind of chameleontic to the point that they lost um, some people uh, instead of uh, achieving strength. No, now, apparently, although 32% uh, in terms of numbers in the uh, seats in parliaments, they are around 18% in the audience. So they, they slash uh, practically half. Uh, this means that they have to position themselves. They cannot simply float in the middle of everything, being bipartisan when is necessary or very strongly oppositional when necessary. And this is what uh, um, Giuseppe Conte is trying to do, to position these to become party movements into a uh, between center-left, so that uh, he's going to compete with the PD in this case, clearly, because uh, they are focusing on the same electorate. So they are looking for alliance, but it's an alliance that will cover what? What kind of uh, uh, electorship uh, uh, is going to attract? I agree with the Rachel in this case. Uh, they attract, uh, in the South, uh, people who are jobless, in lo looking for uh, support and assistance. In the North, they don't have support. And in the North, they will use perhaps the PD. So it's a kind of alliance that is functional somehow, capable of you of uh, covering parts of the of, of countries that each neither of the two parties capable of doing. So perhaps it's a function. It would be a confederation. A confederation more than an alliance. I just want to jump in. I mean, you mentioned the term ideologically flexible. I think we need to be careful with the term ideology because I also think we could yeah. introduce the term opportunism. I mean, they came into power with this platform that they would only serve a certain number of terms, that they would give a certain amount of their salaries as elected officials to Casaleggio's system that runs the web platform. Many of them haven't done that. And so now there's a lawsuit about money and they came into power saying we want to be against this system and now they're in parliament and don't want to leave parliament because they kind of they kind of like it there so there is a certain amount of opportunism and that also comes through they luigi de maio came in to power skeptical of nato and now that draghi is running the government the government has become much more atlanticist and and luigi de maio is foreign minister so there's always been a certain amount of opportunism in italian politics not just italian politics but there so it's really just a question of of power and who can can harness that and then it's almost it's not like we go to this party because this is what it believes in but the party which was founded on a kind of marketing skill understands like what do people maybe want and therefore will go meet them there there's always been an interesting tension between we're setting the agenda ideologically and people will follow us and we're listening to what's out there and we're setting our policies based on what people want and i think the five star movement does that more than other parties in part because it was founded basically as the political arm of a web marketing consulting firm and so it has a you know quite a lot of skills in doing that giuseppe yeah. Conte, who was prime minister in two governments with the five-star movement he is not actually a member of the five-star movement so he might be able to be the leader of a centrist bloc but he's not technically in the party and according to the bylaws of the party in order for him to request membership there would be like a six-month delay before he would be allowed to vote in the own party elections for party leaders. Because the way the Five Star Movement works is there's this web platform, Rousseau, and all the members vote to elect the new leader. And so he might not even be able to, to do that technically. This is a technicality which other parties should be able to, to overcome. But it does speak to some of the many internal contradictions of this movement. And to the quick rise, right? You know, there's maybe not all of the, all, you know, all the I's and T's have been dotted in their, in their charter. Uh, but Paolo, to be, you know, really, to break down a little farther, I think especially what people in America find surprising, they have governed both with Lega, you know, with, with the right and with the center left, the PD uh, currently. Um, what has that looked like and what have they accomplished through that? Because obviously that is a huge, you know, obstacle, but obviously it must be an opportunity for something. Yes, I think that they have an ideology. So sometimes, I mean, this flexibility 
is not down to the fact that they are deprived of ideology. Their ideology is this anti-political elite stance, right? And they voice it not because they hate politics as such, but because many people have grown wary of the political class, because the political class is seen as favoring economic elites, is seen as favoring uh, this discourse that we cannot have the good things, right? Austerity, responsibility, so-called. And this is a discourse that can align both with the left and with the right, right? which explains why they've been in government with Lega and in government uh, with the Partito Democratico. Uh, the first uh, coalition in 2018 came after uh, one month and a half of negotiations uh, with Lega, a populist right party. So it was described as the populist coalition because it was the two, in a way, two souls of populism, as it were, that we have been seeing uh, around the world. Uh, right-wing populism and perhaps kind of mild left-wing populism in the case of Five Star reuni reunited, right? Uh, in a context where uh, right-wing populism at the upper uh, at the upper end, ultimately, because uh, Salvini from the Ministry of Interior is started using that as a sort of warship uh, to which to uh, bombard both uh, uh, the left and the, his own allies, right, attacking them all the time, taking away from them some motives, including the anti-case motive, and polarizing people more around issues having to do with, with immigration. So actually, the movement of, of votes away from the Five Star and towards the right, starting with the government uh, during the alliance between the Five Star movement and, and Lega, right? To the point that Salvini felt so emboldened, he thought he could uh, cause, uh, force snap elections. But there was a moment of hubris, a typical moment where, where politicians think they are stronger than they are. And it completely recoiled upon him spectacularly. And it was also the moment when Conte actually became a politician and not a puppet anymore, in a way. It, it was quite an extraordinary moment in politics. It really shows, in a way, how politics is really not just a projection of social forces, but a theater of its own where things happen. Because there was this famous uh, uh, debate in the Senate with Salvini next to him and, and Conte basically treating him a bit as a kind of father treats uh, a stupid son, like, you know, patting him on the back, you know, you know, Matteo, you, you're a bit crazy and stuff. And it was a complete humiliation for Salvini. And it was a moment where Conte demonstrated he actually had leadership skills. And the people liked him because he was quite a decent person. I mean, uh, someone who was not like the other people, right? So then this coalition with Partito Democratico began, which looked quite interesting because it looked a bit as a sort of recapitulation of social democracy adapted to the conditions of the 21st century. They started talking about minimum wage, which in Italy we don't have. We are the only country in the EU uh, except for Austria and Sweden that doesn't have a minimum wage. And salaries in Italy are at the lowest of uh, most uh, OECD countries, I mean, most Western European countries. Right? They started really kind of mobilizing interesting moderate social democratic policies. So it looked really, really hopeful. Uh, but then we know what happened, right? With uh, these blitz uh, by Renzi, clearly allied with other figures against Conte and, and this new center-left alliance, which despite being moderate, right? And Conte is often described as a Christian Democrat of the left because indeed he's a Christian person with some social values coming from the social teachings of the church, but no more than that. But already that was unacceptable for the Italian establishment that something like that could exist, right? That minimum, very small gains could be made for the for poorer classes. It was already too much, right? That's why they toppled him. It's, you know, it, it's interesting when you look at, uh, how they sort of occupying the same space and how Conte sort of talking about him becoming becoming a politician. He really did seem to have this this COVID bump, uh, you know, that it sort of spoke towards technocratic competence, these, these things that are going in. Um, Nadia, what do you think? Um, who gets to inherit the 15% is, I guess, what I'm asking. You know, is it this new space in the center that speaks towards a squishy gray area between the Contes and the Draggies of the world? Or does this space dissolve back into its natural tendencies on the left and the right where they belong? Some well, say. this is precisely the issue 
today, in my view, because uh, the uh, the Conti's uh, project to become the leader of the five stars movements and of potentially the coalition with the uh, uh, Democratic Party, because they are constructing the coalition uh, in view of the new elections. Uh, the idea is to cover the entire 32 plus and to reach the 42-40%. So to reconfirm the, uh, the, um, the thickness of uh, both uh, parties and expand a little bit at the expense of the left, uh, sorry, of the center. I don't know whether this can be achieved because but I, but I can think that uh, it is a reasonable project. Why is it a reasonable project? You see it from the opposite. Because there are so many people against this project. Many in the media, many inside of the central right, many within uh, the uh, television talk shows and so on and so forth. So there is a kind of a attention to what... Uh, people don't want. Who are the people who don't want? Those who didn't like uh, Conte, those who uh, are establishment based and they are somehow, they consider this plebeian uh, reconfiguration of uh, the um, of the coalition politics in Italy, they don't like. They don't like the five stars movement. The five stars movement for the establishment is plebs and they don't, and they dislike radically. So, what this want in moment is what they want to is to avoid to prevent this coalition. And thus there is a bombing every day attacking on this possibility by destroying the legitimacy of, uh, of the five stars. Now, of course, uh, Grillo gives them a great opportunity to score because he's in a very bad moment. Now, this means that uh, the, the, in the future, in my view, uh, in the future, it will be very interesting to see constructions of this alliance between the PD and the Faisal's movement. And in my view, it is a well-grounded alliance. Many people want it, although not the people who define and decide over the opinion. So there is a split ah. in this country between opinion makers and people outside. Very truly. I mean, uh, you can you can taste it. You can you can you can feel it when you are here. Rachel, you look like you want to jump in uh, on that. I, I mean, I think it's a really interesting point. Remember that after the 2018 elections, when Renzi was still leading the PD, even See, there's the magic name. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Right. His party did historically badly, but he still wouldn't step down as party leader. He refused to make an alliance between the Five Star Movement and the PD, saying, you know, the Five Star Movement are these. Un, we can't trust these weirdo populists. We're not going to do the alliance. So maybe you know things have maybe changed now with, with with Conte. But I also think when we talk about the establishment in Italy, I mean, like everyone is the establishment at this point. The Five Star Movement is the establishment. And yeah, but not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. All right. Well, there, there's, there, there fans of the Five Star Movement in some elements of the media in Italy. And I think the connection between the mainstream media and the political parties is one that's very important in Italy, more maybe than in other countries, where even though, like, print newspapers, which have plummeting newsstand sales, like, people are not reading these, but they're still important, also the televisions, and so who is promoting what agenda in the mainstream media, television, newspapers is important. But as we see, both the Lega and the Five Star Movement have done extremely well communicating through social media and, and the internet. And if I have one regret in my years as Rome Bureau Chief of the New York Times between 2008 and 2013, it's that I don't feel like I took the web seriously enough, because I was kind of talking to the establishment like well that's what the establishment says and uh, and i do think there is a kind of sentiment that the five-star movement taps into but the, but there is also you know i i think that the the more historic political parties have not been able to adapt in in, in a certain way i'm never entirely clear where the pure politics and personalities end and where the ideological battles begin so i don't know if the establishment that nadia is talking about is pushing against conte and 
against oh, yeah. a five-star oh, yeah. alliance just, yeah. because just, yeah. because of his views or the views of the party or because they just think like this guy's incompetent i mean the whole behind the scenes of the like draggy coming in the the establishment line is like we can't trust these people with the bailout with the recovery funds right mm -hmm. so may, may i give you an example may i give an example just one one of the reasons why all my friends in the news, particularly the uh, newspapers, uh, Huff, Huffington and people in the Repu Republica and La Stampa, they were upset with the government and Conte, truly upset. Why? One of the reasons, the most important, because he is a um, PR, a public relations and pre and, uh, he was he was he was a member. Or he, he was an actor. Coming from the Big Brother uh, real reality show, yeah, yeah, and they sure. they were they were they were uh, obsessed by uh, being offended by uh, transforming uh, the 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 government into the place of the real uh, the reality show. Didn't they remember the Berlusconi chapter? But yeah, but, but, but Berlusconi came from uh, the uh, north. He came from Milan. They come from yeah. the south. Yeah, yeah. So the North is ruling in this moment the country. Yeah. No, the the press guy for the Five Star Movement famously doesn't return anybody's call in the mainstream yeah. media. But I don't know if that, which is irritating. But I don't know if that's what is like the ultimate symbol of establishment. Um, just you know, it's not a good strategy. I will no. say that. No. Uh, uh, you know. Folks with different ideologies, uh, I'll just throw some out there. Uh, you know, Barack Obama, Bernie Sanders, Jeremy Corbyn. When you work on those campaigns and you meet the campaigners and you're hanging out, they're movement people. They're movement people. They have a certain vibe. It's hard to describe. That is the vibe I got from working with Cinquecella people, mm -hmm. uh, uh, especially on the ground in Liguria for this last regional election, was the folks, you know, it was a PD, uh, um, you know, five-star alliance. And the kind of people who were very active uh, on those campaigns were five-star movement people, you know, like people who go to meetings and they're, and they're, and they're, 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 and they are very engaged. And so I think they're amply establishment, but engaged people, where are they going to go? Paolo, where, where is their home? It's a very specific person, but it's a very important person because it's the person that the PD can't seem to hold on to, right? Yeah. This is their last 10% they never get. Uh, I mean, I think that you really need to, to understand what is going on in terms of, of a volcanic politics because all the structures of representation, of popular representation that were there in the post-war period uh, become sclerotic and they are, are falling down, right? So the trade unions and all the socialist parties and communist parties that were giving a, a channel for people's demands uh, to voice people's anger, to voice people's interests are not there anymore. So what happens is that you have a dual society, right? I mean, the integrated, people who are part of trade unions or civic associations who somehow feel represented. That's basically the middle class these days. And then you have a growing and growing section of the population that doesn't fit, doesn't fit anywhere. Right? The working class of before uh, has become the middle class now because they have gone through their social mobility, right? In the 60s and the 70s. And that's the PD which is now the party of pensioners and civil servants, fundamentally. These are the figures that are the most important ones. But then you have this huge uh, ocean of people that are not represented by anyone, and it's like a geyser that whenever he finds a hole, whenever he finds a channel, he will use it for how, however flowed it is, right? It doesn't matter how flowed it is. The most unlikely... Uh, vessel, if there is an opening in the system, it will exploit that opening. Much as it happened with Corbyn, right, that it surprised anyone, how the hell did, it, did this happen? This was impossible. Yes, because there was a very small opening, and the unrepresented used it to the full extent. Same thing with Bernie Sanders, right, during the primaries. Nobody in 2016 was expecting it would come so close to snatching away the nomination from Hillary Clinton. But again, it's because there is all this pent-up anger and whenever he finds a space to use it, it does. Same thing with the Pfizer movement, right? It has, in a way, unwittingly become the vessel of, of, of popular anger. Uh, I think now there are two possibilities. There is sort of a bifurcation, two possible paths. 
There are people who want to uh, normalize the five-star movement, including Di Maio, wants, want to turn it into yet another liberal party, into yet another centrist party, as if we didn't have enough liberal centrist parties in Italy. There's more centrist parties in Italy than there are centrist voters. And the other thing is basically to take a stance and say, we are standing for working people, we are standing for poor people, that unfortunately are not represented by Partito Democratico. Let's be clearer about what kind of interest we represent, because it is impossible to represent the people. You always represent a section of the people. And let's be clear about it, and let's, be, and let's connect our demand for democracy, which is fundamental, with a demand to represent the rights of those who are not economically represented now in the system. So I also would ask, do you think, uh, and I will throw this to anyone who wants to answer it, but you know, so much of what seems like the big boon uh, to the right parties at the expense of the center left has been a sense of community that the parties used to foster. You know, being a communist mm -hmm. meant that you had a social life. You know, you think being a member of the socialist party and stuff like that. Um, was the did the five star provide that sense of community that uh, some folks were, were leaving and as that way came in and how much do you think Rousseau, which is of course the name of their digital platform, uh, has to do with that and is that one of the legacies that's going to come out of this? Is that you have to be building community, especially in a digital way? If I say so, I, I was in the south when the parties, the, when the five stars movement won uh, uh, in the two thousand thirteen in the regional elections, boom, they enter in the competition. And I saw many people organizing meetups and associations connected to, uh, connected to the Five Stars movement. Something that you could find in the past with the Democratic Christians or even Force Italia, Berlusconi's one or other movements. So there is a permanent quest for uh, community or associations based on some uh, uh, interest, not simply faith or beliefs, uh, some uh, strong interest. And yes, uh, yet uh, the Pfizer movement was able to uh, replace uh, the previous ones and to um, and to do it in a way that was functional to the disaggregating reality, which is the south of the country. Mm, uh, they replaced practically what uh, after World War II was the uh, qualunquismo, the the the, the uomo qualunque movements. It was an anti-party movement collecting people, transforming the parliament as they want to by abolishing elections and substituting elections with the lottery. That was fortified. So, and they had in the South uh, still today this sense of anti-party, which is a form of community. Is we versus them? Is we versus North? Those who are inside, those who are uh, um, always fortunate, there is a sense of resentment plus revenge, resentment plus revenge. And this is connected to the sense of community that you are looking for. Yeah. In this, I think the Five Star Movement and the Yellow Vest Movement in France actually share mm. many things in common. And yeah. the difference, I was saying this to Nadia earlier, the difference, one of the differences between Italy and France is that in Italy, the political opposition is in parliament, like the Five Star Movement. And in France, it's like on the street, the Yellow Vest Movement, which is a similar kind of volatile anti-party, anti-establishment sentiment, mobilizes through the web and kind of wants to hang out together like at roundabouts and, you know, be together. And I think that that's something very important that the Five Star Movement has captured, which certainly the PD has lost. Like it's the PD is like a kind of intellectual thinking disconnected from the on the ground reality unfortunately party and but i also think that as you mentioned rousseau the 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 digital platform that is really important i mean who controls the data might control the party or you know who and 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 i think that that is an important question for the legacy and i also think it's something that other parties have looked to that the brexit tears went to visit the five star movement to and to visit casaleggio to find out how does this platform work how have you been able to kind of figure out how to you know harness political like discontent into into kind of political action and that net roots and that digital thinking mm -hmm. and, and platform is important and and i think that that will you know that will last but very few people participate the south is very disconnected it's not very connected with the web 
and how can they get uh, along? Because it's you know how many people participate in the in the voting in the referendum? They have many referendums. Forty thousand. 40,000 yeah. of participation. So it's not so many, so much a participation through the web, which is a scam sometimes because people when they want people to, to vote in favor of what they want, they frame the question in a way that uh, you vote yes by voting no. This is uh, what they do. It's. Uh... Yeah, and certainly referendums are notoriously, uh, you know, one of the least democratic <laughs> things that you can do. I mean, look, in, a, in that way, it's sort of super effective. I mean, Paolo, I would ask you, I mean, do you see other uh, parties? You know, obviously everyone, uh, as has been said, was super curious and what's going on with this five stars and kind of taking yeah. them apart. Um, who do you see now uh, emerging as maybe the international inheritors of this movement besides the yellow star, the yellow vests on the streets of Paris? Yeah, because I think you need to give it to them, to the five star that they've been very innovative. Very uh, any, no, no, internationally. Yes, I mean, um, there's many other parties that have followed on uh, the Five Star footsteps uh, implicitly or explicitly. I think that there is a, a gamut of left populist party, though again, like defining Five Star as left is very difficult. One could in, in terms of, of class background and socioeconomic issues, but obviously there's Podemos in Spain, right, which also has a participatory platform. There's La France Insoumise in France, or Jean-Luc Mélenchon. Uh, what is very interesting now in Britain, I don't know if you've heard about the Northern Independence Party, which is a party that started yes. a bit like, like a them, joke, yeah. like um, uh, an internet meme, because it basically it advocates independence of Northumbria, which was a, a Saxon kingdom. They're coming on next week, actually, yeah. In, in the 10th century. And it's super interesting, I find, I mean, now they actually are contesting an election. In, uh, by uh, election in Hartlepool. But what is really interesting is, is they describe themselves as social um, democratic socialists, right? I mean, uh, in terms of uh, along the lines of Corbyn and Sanders. But what is interesting, what they said is that if we go around and say we are socialist or democratic socialist, nobody listen to us. If we say we stand for the independence of a territory, so we say basically we're populist, uh, <laughs> territorial populist in a way, Suddenly, everyone like listen. What is going on here? Which I find, I think, is quite interesting. So it's an, that is another example of digital party. And I think we uh, there's Razem in Poland. Uh, uh, actually, the, there's plenty of formations now that are using a bit these these new uh, template, and uh, which expresses also. I mean, I think a key element there is distrust of party structures and of political structures as a cartel. This idea of Richard Katz and Peter Mayer. That politics and society has become like a cartel, right? Like economic cartels controlling prices, controlling supply. This is what Nadia was saying about the media, right? The media have become cartels. They've always been, but they become more so recently, right? They are controlling supply of information. Yeah. That is why suddenly everybody's surprised when this party scores those results in the election. Guess what? Because the people who were supposed to inform us are instead there to prevent people being informed and people actually knowing what is going on. The same thing applies to parties. Parties these days are there to a great extent not to represent people, but to control people. They are representing the state among the people rather than representing people in the state. Um, so this is a general pathology of society, this cartelization of everything. Parties, cultural system, media, social organization, and so on and so forth which inevitably leads to these mercurial and kind of magmatic formations uh, to emerge and use any tool they have. Really, anything that works can be used as a vessel for this popular mobilization. For this popular mobilization. But the Five Star Movement and the Lega, the Lega was, it had television, which was important. But the Five Star Movement did well without having you know, mainstream media support to a certain extent. You could argue, I mean, we could get into really technical debates about who owns the media in Italy, but I think that when you use the term cartel, you could also use the term like interest groups and things like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Cartel Interviews. And as Interviews. a member of the media, I feel like it doesn't all, it's not always like thuggish and antagonistic. And the fact that these parties have done well, they, they, they've done well in spite of some of the mainstream media. So, I mean, I, I, I just want to call you on that word. 
I would like to and, add and, and Rachel, do you oh. think, oh, sorry, Nadia, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, Nadia, go ahead, please. No, right. this is important what she said, because the, uh, we are no longer in the Habermasian public sphere in which there is a plurality of quasi-anarchical society developing associations and medias freely. Here we have uh, uh, medias that are owned by corporations um, who have, they have many interests vested inside of the parliament and the government, in particular in Italy. We have three big uh, owners uh, owning everything, all the televisions and the newspapers and the, and the uh, platforms also, Huffington. Uh, and they defined actually the, uh, the goal of politics. They give a goal to politics and they present themselves, and many people use this, um, people that I know, friends of mine and, and political theorists, they say, look, at this is a power that doesn't have any form of account accountability because in the name of free speech or yeah. free associations, they really operate in the thick way, uh, in the thick world of politics, imposing uh, agendas. This is what we have now. So it needs to be analyzed better, this domain of um, uh, media and freedom of... Uh, uh, media, not freedom, media and organizations. I don't know whether we call cartel or interest-based uh, Media, but is a problem for me. Uh, in Italy, at least, I, I feel. Well, with the interest, knowing knowing what they know now, would the cartel or interest group, <laughs> depending on how thuggish they want to be, actively prevent the rise of the next five star? Right? Yeah. Is this something you think they didn't see coming and are regretful, or like we could have stopped that if we'd actually given it the attention it deserved in the very beginning? They stopped the government, and they did so in a way that was fantastic. Because we have, for the first time after 45, the first time a government collapsed without even the parliament voting against it. Conte didn't even uh, go toward the, in the parliament to ask for uh, uh, confidence or does not confidence. He simply resigned to the president. And the president, so it was a very strange system of transition to, uh, and the, the, the bombing, the attack against the government was since the, the last year, every day. We, uh, with uh, some friends, uh, also Paolo was uh, at a certain point involved. We had uh, last June, uh, May actually, a document, a letter, uh, in order to prevent this uh, attack, everyday attack against the government. This was May 2020. We received in 24 hours 25,000 signatures. It was a splash. It means that there is a, a separation between what the media say and what the people would like to have. Unfortunately, I'm not, I don't like to play the game of populist, but this, this country is incredibly divided and polarized. I mean, Paolo, what would you say about that? Does this represent a kind of victory of the elites that's going to fuel the next I mean, it's, you it's know, amazing wave because of anti? Yeah. It's amazing because Nadia is very critical of populism and, and rightly so, but it tells you that the situation is now beyond the, a, a point where really also you need to give it right to, to certain populist forces for, for, for what they, uh, they stand there to, to represent. And, and I think it's, it's really a matter of, uh, of what, what, what kind of solution there will be to this deadlock, right, between, between establishment and, and, and enforces the standard to represent popular interests. In Italy, we have a system that is very opaque, is very Byzantine in, in the way in which the president of the Republic is supposed to be only uh, a symbolic figure by some actually has a lot of power, a lot of power. That is why also the Partito Democratico really wants to keep the President of the Republica. And often this institutionalism this idea of institutional responsibility, especially born by Partito Democratico, right? We are the people standing for the Italian Republic, for the institutions, guaranteeing the continuation of the nation, the pillar party, engenders automatically, on the other hand, this kind of populist dynamic, right? Because people say, so is responsibility uh, paying people so little? Is responsibility doing whatever uh, you're told by Brussels technocrats, mm. sometimes even more just because uh, they, they say so. And uh, therefore, the, it really creates this divide. 
this yawning gap between uh, many people, especially in the South, as, as, as Nadia was saying, and, and the people who are standing there to represent them. I think that now a lot will depend on what Conte does if Conte manages to refound the movement, right? In May, uh, the Festa movement will have a new assembly. It also needs, in a way, to get rid of the uh, figure of, of Grillo, which is now a huge liability for the movement. Conte is widely appreciated by Italians because he looks like a decent person. And being minimally decent as a human being is a plus yeah, yeah. in Italian yeah. politics these days. It is a plus. He has demonstrated he's a person who cares. He's a moderate, but he cares. That's already enough for people to have trust in him. But it's going to be a very difficult uh, game because of all these things, because of, of all this resistance. And also because perhaps Conte is too much of a technocrat to be populist enough right, to mobilize people. An element of the face of movement what was maybe he wasn't reframed he wasn't reborn as a politician quite politician in the enough <laughs> in his rebirth. Yeah, in the sense uh, that Rachel, I yeah, also yeah. like you know, especially um oh no no go ahead, Paul. No, I, I think uh, sorry to uh, interrupt. I mean it's just the center oh. left the center left has this problem uh, with channeling people anger, as if anger was wrong. Right? But sometimes people are angry for good reasons. And you need to channel it in a right way, in a good way. Ah, but you need to understand yes. why people are angry. Exactly. So in an election like in America, where you saw Joe Biden win, but the Democrats lose seats uh, in the House of Representatives because the anti-establishment backlash uh, vote is still very much present in America, um, do you see lessons in five stars rise and perhaps fall um, for an alliance that happens in, in an America uh, where people on seemingly different ends of the spectrums are disaffected for the same reasons. I always find it hard to make direct analogies between Italy and America, in part because so Italy has so many different small parties and there's so much pure politics and there's so much kind of... In a way, but there's still two teams. That's what I always say. You know, they rearrange the deck chairs, but there's still two teams. Well, I mean, then I think the... Again, I think that the divisions within the center-left in Italy are similar to the divisions within the center-left in the United States, in that you have kind of the progressives and the more mainstream. So you have the kind of Renziites who are more like Hillary Clintonites, and then you have the AOCs who are maybe a little bit like Five Star, but also a little bit... Like, I don't know, they're, they're younger and more... Line. Kind of yeah, even more, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, and I, I mean, I, I also think Italy doesn't really have like a green movement in the way so, so much in the way that Germany mm. does, for instance. And so, I mean, I think that generationally, I'm curious how young people will vote. I mean, in France, we found that a lot of young people are actually voting for the far right. They're actually supporting the far right. Yeah. In, yeah. in Italy, maybe I think, um, you know, you, you asked about lessons from, from the U.S. election. I mean, there isn't... Like the the kind of centrist establishment figure, like Biden, like figure. There's Draghi, who's running the country, but he's a technocrat. And I actually think that the the most brilliant politician is the most despised and despicable in certain ways, and that's Renzi. the The person who actually captures a certain kind of centrist block would be Draghi, but he's. I don't really see him going to play pure politics. I mean, I think the centrist voters who might go to Conte would definitely go to Draghi, but Draghi doesn't, maybe, I don't know, I don't call the guy, but I don't, I don't get the sense that he wants to get in the mess of Italian politics. So some of the similar impulses that are animating political debate in the United States, in Italy, in other countries in Europe, generational divides, precariousness, the ability to get a job, the ability to get a mortgage, the ability to raise a family, the ability financially to survive, those are real things, as certainly in Italy. And no party has really done a great job capitalizing on that. I think Paolo makes a really important point about the center left being unable to, to capture anger. I mean, the Five Star Movement, in the cities they've governed, they've done really badly. The cities have not been governed terribly well, right? So, I mean, again, it's like you can capture the anger, but who's going to govern and actually make people's lives better? And I, I don't think anyone has a good answer to that in Italy at the moment. Well, I would like to add, to, add, to integrate to what you were uh, just say with the three points. First, 
the institutional or uh, the institutional system in Italy is not presidential. So even if uh, you have a good leader, he needs to have a parliamentary alliance, and this makes a leader never alone. But in the United States, the White House is there, and it is for one person, not for a coalition, for one person. And that, uh, the great Biden, who started moderate, but sincerely moderate, because Renzi is not sincerely moderate. Renzi is a populist moderate. He does everything for himself, he has a very, you know, King Mida kind of acti uh, disposition toward power, money, and presence. Doesn't have uh, any kind of ideas. At least the moderate Biden had strong ideas. And the moderate understood that in order to uh, take away uh, support from Trump, a future Trumpist also, he had to be radical. He had to take a radical change. This is what we don't have in Italy. In Italy, they're, they're, people are scared of being radical in their choice because they expose themselves. And in this climate of alliance and parliamentary, nobody wants to be um, disclaimed by others. So you need cooperation, collaboration, compromise, and those who don't want to be radical, as the great Kelsen used to say, if you want to destroy radicalism, you create a parliamentary system. This is what we do today. I mean, this is clear. What is important then, the other element of that, this uh, is relevant in my view, is Europe. Because to be in the European Union, uh, beginning with the 90s, it means that this technocratic way of solving problems, problem solving to technocracy, this infiltrated in all member states. Many member states now assume the mental habit of solving problems through technicalities without looking for party oppositions or ideological or um, right and left or whatever. So there is the sense, as Rosanne Ballon said, the only way that in Europe we, um, we feel that we can destroy or defeat populism is by deflating political competition or deflating the oppositional moments and expanding the non-political decision-making uh, sectors. This is what we do. So in some sense, uh, there are two ways uh, uh, to exit populism, perhaps. The American way, a strong uh, altern alternation kind of relationship of power, one against the other one, but always politics. In Europe, is more a way out of conglomeration of many interests under a kind of moderate technocrat or leader kind of, not uh, more 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 bipartisan than than partisan seems to be paula i'll give you the last word because we're coming up on it but do you think the answer is you know they say famously you know trust is lost in buckets and gained in drops and obviously that's <laughs> sort of a problem uh with the people who we're trying to get i mean is the answer social democracy except nobody trusts anyone to deliver it to them properly or is it not that simple I think social democracy is coming back big time, and partly what, what Biden is doing, uh, lurching to the left, you know, like veering to the left, is, is really uh, positive. I mean, I, I criticize Biden a lot during the primaries, but I think one need to give to him that, that he's doing posit posit oh, yeah. positive things, and these are things that are uh, very hopeful because nobody really wants to uh, bet on uh, collapse and, and, and after collapse, whatever, the socialist paradise. I think we really need things that are practical, that are pragmatic, that solve people's problems. Uh, but you need to recognize now that if someone today stands in a situation like Italy for policies only, right, uh, it doesn't capture something there in, in the public imagination. And this thing in the public imagination is the problem of democracy. We cannot have the nice things because there are people there who are preventing us from having the nice things is not just a chance, right? it's not just a random thing. So the cru crucial po uh, problem and the, the slogan of the popular forces should be democracy. Because if all this is happening, it's because we don't have democracy. They call it democracy, but it is not, right? As the indignados say, which doesn't mean that we need direct democracy, but we need ultimately real representative democracy at the very least. Because now this democracy is not representing many people's interests. It is representing a lot of people's interests. The center is 
representing the certain interest in uh, double, triple, uh, fourfold fashion. But there are many people who are outside of, of representation. And if those people are kept outside, then most monsters are born from that exclusion. I love that as a way to end. Thank you so much, Paolo, Thank Rachel, you. and Nadia for being here with us. I hope you'll come back when we talk about other things yes, that are adjacent yes, to this. Yes. <laughs> Thank uh, you. And next week, we're going to look at the Latin American pink wave that oh. appears to not be manifesting as we thought it might be. So see you then. Yes. See you. See you. Bye-bye. Comitato, committed, committato, Karul, committee, we're young, we're submitting, we're committing.